Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or visit amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free and catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. You are listening to Red Carpet Rendezvous with your host, Lauren Conlon. Hey guys, and welcome to Red Carpet Rendezvous. I'm your host, Lauren Conlon. Okay guys, so today I'm bringing you a different type of episode that I may or may not turn into a Red Carpet Rendezvous series, depending, you know, if you guys like it or not, or if I get good feedback. So in addition to me being an entertainment junkie, I'm also a crime junkie. And after Joaquin Phoenix quoted his late brother River at the River at the Oscars, it just got me thinking. There have been quite a few child actors that have had horrible issues that led them to drug overdoses or even suicide. And in so many cases, like Brad's, it could have possibly been prevented. So I want to tell their story. So this is the rise and fall of Brad Renfro. Brad Renfro died on January 15, 2008, of an accidental heroin overdose. He was living in L.A., and his roommate found him in the early hours of the morning, dead in his bed. He was only 25 years old. The L.A. County coroner told TMZ that Brad had a freshly inked tattoo across his back that read, Fuck all y'all. Possibly a clue into Brad's darkness during his final days, Brad got that tattoo on a Sunday, and he was found dead on Tuesday. A week later, on January 22nd, Heath Ledger was found dead of an accidental overdose as well. And just like that, Brad Renfro's death was completely overshadowed, even going as far as leaving him out at the tributes the next month at the 2008 Oscars. So Brad was in over 20 films, and some of them to this day are my all-time favorites, like Sleepers and The Client. And after doing extensive research for this episode, there's a common theme looming across the internet that I just couldn't get out of my head. Is Hollywood responsible for not preventing his death? And I want to reiterate, not causing his death, but just not preventing it. I say no. You can be the judge after this episode. Personally, I blame a lot of it on his parents. And I am a parent, so I know how hard it is to parent. And and that's saying a lot. Um, for me to say I partially blame them, but we'll get into that later. So let's start from the very beginning. Brad Renfro was born July 25th, 1982 in Knoxville, Tennessee, to Mark, a factory worker, and Angela. Her profession wasn't listed. I couldn't find it anywhere. So his parents divorced when he was only four, and he was basically left on the doorstep of his paternal grandmother, Joanne Renfro, who was a church secretary in East Knoxville, Tennessee, after his parents got divorced. His mother, Angela, moved to Michigan and remarried, and his dad was basically just floating somewhere around Tennessee. So this was the first really bizarre thing to me in his life, Um, and it just seems like a really good way to mess up your kid. You get a divorce, and you decide you just don't want to care for your child anymore, so you just drop your adorable five-year-off like at your your mom's house and, and leave 
your kid to them. That just seems like not a great idea. But they did. Um, and Brad seemed to have a good relationship with Joanne, his grandmother, and she was a good woman. She took care of him physically. She put a roof over his head, gave him food, clothed him, loved him. However, he didn't really respect her. He loved her as well, but I mean this in the sense that he wouldn't listen to her and she couldn't really control him or his actions. She was trying her best, but Brad definitely took major, major advantage of her. So, When Brad was only 10 years old, he made his acting debut in a school play, which was sponsored by D.A.R.E., Drug Abuse Resistance Education, where he played a drug dealer. The whole play was basically to warn kids about the dangers of drugs. So anyway, during that time, there was a nationwide casting call for a 10 or 11-year-old boy to play the lead in Joel Schumacher's new film, The Client. So a Knoxville police officer actually heard about it and somehow gave a tip to the casting director, Mally Finn, about Brad, just because he was so impressed with how well he did in that stupid school play when he saw it. And apparently, he fit the character in the casting call to a T. So one of Mally Finn's casting associates said, We wanted that kid in the principal's office, that endearing, mischievous boy that might be lying to you, might not be telling the truth, but you're still very charmed by him. So after auditioning Brad in a hotel room, Mally Finn knew she'd found her kid. So Brad and his grandmother were later flown out to California to do a screen test. And, you know, at that point, it was really exciting to them because they'd never been on a plane before or even stayed in a hotel. Mally Finn's casting associate, Emily Schweber, said, Brad was really fun. He was super charming, a little bit wild, but overall amazing in the scenes. And where he learned to do this at this young age with no experience, I don't know. Some kids just really enjoy role playing and acting. He had a lot of energy, but he also had dark moods. So with that being said, Brad got his first movie role ever at age 10 with no experience in the film version of John Grisham's The Client which was about a Southern trailer park kid who winds up tangled in a mafia hit, and his co-stars were Tommy Lee Jones and Susan Sarandon, who was later nominated for an Oscar for this role. And if you haven't seen this movie, I think it was 1994 when it came out, you really should. It's so good, and it's still one of my favorites. So anyway, the director of The Client, Joel Schumacher, later called the late J.J. Harris. She actually passed away in 2013. She was a manager and a film producer who was managing actresses like Charlize Theron to check out Joel's new discovery, his child actor lead, his his prize at this point. So J.J. Harris flew to North Carolina to watch Brad in action, and she was completely charmed by this little boy, just like everybody else. She said he was rough and tumble. He was very self-aware, but he also said things like, nobody can put up with me because I'm just too hot to handle. And JJ said that he was obviously screaming for someone to establish some kind of boundaries for him, something that never happened in his life. So it's interesting to me that she only met him for a few hours and she could tell this right away, that he had no boundaries and he was kind of in a way hoping for someone to give him some. So when The Client was released in 1994, it was super obvious to a lot of insiders that Brad wasn't really acting. He was playing himself. And he appeared to have the street smarts and the swagger of like a 19 or 20 year old, which essentially in the end, like may have contributed to his demise. Um, But truthfully, 
you know, this was just an 11-year-old kid just trying to act tough. So apparently, even back then, in the beginning, there were addiction issues. So Brad seemed to have no trouble ever learning his lines or taking direction, but bottles of booze seemed to disappear whenever he was around. He was super sneaky, and really there was no one stopping him. So that being said, he still managed to really launch his career after this, flying from Knoxville to Los Angeles, and mostly by himself for these auditions. So this also got me thinking, like, why why was he alone? Like, did he stay in the hotels at age 12 alone? I mean, there's no way he made these day trips, right? Like he had to stay overnight. So um, United Talent would drive him to meetings with these casting directors. And apparently he was a huge flirt from even like a young age, which I thought was very funny. J.J. Harris, again, later described him as also being emotionally abandoned. And this makes so much sense um, just because, again, he didn't have mentors or parental figures. And he spent so much time away from his grandmother that even when he was with her, you know, she could only offer so much. So let's quickly fast forward to 1998 when Brad was filming basically his last major studio movie, Apt Pupil. All his films after this were much smaller or or indie films. So Apt Pupil was also starring Sir Ian McKellen. And in the year that it was released, in 1998, Brad was busted for cocaine and marijuana um, and began what eventually became a long road through the legal system with probably half a dozen arrests. And apparently Ian McKellen did have a lot of respect for Brad during the filming of the movie because, you know, he was a talented actor and he was a great co-star. But off screen, he did mention that Brad seemed a bit manic and a little bit needy. And he was still only 15 or 16 years old and, again, still had no real guidance from any adult. Everyone from costumes to electricians were always trying to support him on set. This is a quote from the apt pupil producer Don Murphy. And... I can totally appreciate that, but I'm still waiting for someone to step in and just parent him. It's been years and years and years, and he's only getting progressively worse. So I'm going to read an excerpt from a BuzzFeed article written by Adam B. Vary titled, Hollywood Wanted an Edgy Child Actor. When he spiraled, they couldn't help. I found a lot of these points that Adam made super interesting. With no boundaries off the set, Brad kept getting pushed past perceived limits for child actors on set as well. In The Client, shot when Renfro was just 11, his character is repeatedly physically threatened with knives and guns, unusual in its intimacy and intensity for a film involving children. In Sleepers, shot when Renfro was just 13, several boys endure scenes of physical, verbal, and sexual abuse, and Renfro's character consistently bears the worst of it. An apt pupil, shot when Renfro was just 15, he strips naked for a shower scene, shot barely from the waist up, gets an attempted blowjob from a girl in a car, and then kills a homeless man in the basement. Apt pupil was a particularly fraught production in terms of alleged envelope-pushing behavior. The film became infamous for an incident in which three minors, none of them Renfro, claimed they were coerced into disrobing for a shower scene. Prosecutors decline to file charges and a lawsuit against Brian Singer, Auchel, and the studio's production companies behind the film by the minor's parents were dropped. Through this lawyer, Singer contended there was never any merit to the allegations of misconduct on apt people. Decades later, he'd face multiple allegations of misconduct with minors, which he has also denied. 
also declined to comment on the apt pupil incident. So just this is me talking again, not part of the article. But yeah, there were claims filed by the other parents of the actors in the movie, but noticeably missing is um, anybody filing a complaint on Brad's behalf. Okay, back to the article. Even in Disney's Tom and Hook, there's a scene in which Renfro and his co-star Jonathan Taylor Thomas have to cover themselves head to toe in mud. But while Thomas still wears long, baggy pants, Renfro appears to be wearing only briefs. It was miserable, director Peter Hewitt said of the scene. They were just freezing. And because it was so cold and, and wet and just muddy. So we tried to film that scene as quickly as possible, but any acting they did, they had to do while really, really suffering. Hewitt, however, says he has no memory of anyone approaching him on Renfro's behalf. He's not sure if he ever even spoke with Renfro's grandmother beyond a friendly greeting. Brad seemed to pretty much do whatever he wanted. And as Renfro's career progressed, his restlessness and penchant for trouble only grew, to the point where Sleeper's director, Barry Levinson, reported assi- reportedly assigned someone to task to shadow him 24 hours a day. But despite the best intentions of people to keep Renfro working, apparently no one in the industry ever decided no. Forget his talent, forget his star power, forget his ability to draw in an audience. This child should not be on a film set. We're recasting the role. Instead, throughout the 90s and Renfro's early adolescence, Hollywood kept courting the child's actor, trading on his name and fandom. And this last part I found to be the most chilling. Entertainment is one of the only industries in the country that not only regularly employs young children, but also puts them in positions of major importance that affect the livelihood of dozens, if not hundreds of adults around them. That can be an overwhelming position for any child to be in, even if it's a destructive one. It becomes something of a ghoulish Hollywood ritual whenever news stories of former child actors who have killed themselves enter into the news cycle with little sense of what the industry could have done to save them. So, yeah, Brad needed help. He needed someone to step in and say, hey, this is not okay. He can't work under these conditions. Or, you know what, maybe we'll pass on this role because the subject matter is not okay at this point. But again, no one did. They continued to capitalize on his fame and his talent as he continued to get into trouble and get these these crazy roles. And I'm sure at this point, his grandma is old AF and she's like, whatever, what am I supposed to do now? This kid never listened to me in the first place and you know, he's making money. So let's move on now to the year 2000 when Brad was 18 and filming the movie Bully. If you haven't seen that movie, it's also a cult classic. So Rachel Abramowitz from the Seattle Times published this article in 2008, and I'm going to read an excerpt from this as well because it's just totally insane to me. Brad Renfro had insisted over the phone that he was clean. That's what the teen actor, hot from his performance as a troubled youth with sad eyes in the films The Client and Sleeper, told director Larry Clark. Clark, one of America's foremost chronicles of teenage desperation, had just cast Renfro as the lead in Bully, his true-life tale of a bunch of pot-smoking Florida teenagers who murder the local bully. But then, Larry Clark met his 18-year-old co-star. The director, who'd once battled heroin addiction himself, stopped by Renfro's Knoxville, Tennessee home on the way to the film's Florida location. It was the summer of 2000, 
and Renfro emerged from that house that he shared with his grandmother with blood streaming all down his arms. He was bloated and he looked 35 years old. And so continued a painful downward spiral, one of the most excruciating Hollywood has seen of late. I said, what the hell are you doing? Recalls Clark. He'd been banging coke. He had track marks running down both arms and he looks horrible. I just saw the whole movie going down the drain and financing was contingent. Clark spent the next three days with Renfro. They talked, the young actor cried often and continued to shoot up cocaine. Clark hatched a plan for him to get clean for production. I kidnapped him, said the director. The pair jumped in the car one day on the director's pretense of going somewhere, and then Clark just gunned it for Florida. He kicked in the car, he had a seizure, and there was nothing I could do. It doesn't last for that long. So in Florida, the production hired a trainer and a minder for Renfro. Clark took Renfro to a 12-step meeting. Still, in the evenings, Renfro would manage to finagle alcohol. Clark adds, I've been around a lot of addicts and a lot of alcoholics, and I remember thinking at the time, this is one of the worst cases I've ever seen. So, yeah, this really seems like the start of his career demise during the filming of Bully in the year 2000. So during this filming in Florida, Brad met some coke dealer and got really high, and he ended up hot wiring a yacht, and he just gunned it except he forgot to untie the boat. So that made a huge big scene, and then Brad was arrested and charged with grand theft. He ultimately pleaded out and was sentenced to a fine, and he basically got two years probation. But Bully had to shut down for a day, and when he got out of jail, he had to go straight into shooting this scene where he comes out of the ocean and impresses a bunch of girls on a raft with his youthful charisma. But the team on the movie said that that day he was so dehydrated and he just felt terrible because he came straight from jail but you know he could do stuff like that because he was young and he was just such a gifted and natural actor and apparently he didn't really study his lines that much and he probably didn't even read the whole script but when the camera turned on he was just amazing um he was just truly gifted and and i think it's true when you watch Brad's movies, he's always consistent, no matter what time in his life it is. Like some actors, you can just tell in their films or in their career in general when they're going through a rough patch. Like completely different, obviously. But, you know, I think of Britney Spears and I think of the song Give Me More. And whenever I see that video or hear that song, I just think of her going totally in a downward spiral in life because... You know, her VMA performance of that number was totally terrible, and her life was going down the drain like it does every couple of years. Sorry, love you, Brit. Um, anyway, so after Brad caused this delay on Bully because they had, sh had to shut down the production for a day or two because of his arrest, it became really hard for him to get insurance and hence harder for him to land roles. So his agent kind of ran out of options. And frankly, he was just sick of talking to Brad about staying clean because Brad just wouldn't listen. He'd either get really angry, laugh it off, or change the subject. And more times than not, he'd usually walk away or walk into their office and, and say things like, I'm nauseous. I can't see straight. I feel like my heart is palpitating. And then he'd fall asleep on their couch. So at this point in his life, Brad had been arrested multiple times in and out of rehab. And 
that was basically just to appease his agents. He was doing small, low-budget indies like Deuces Wild, where he actually met actor James Franco. And side note, James carved Brad, the name Brad, in his arm after Brad, and even made a short film about him called Brad Renfro Forever because he felt so affected by his death. But more about that later. So at this point, Brad even did an episode of Law and Order Criminal Intent, which definitely seems like a backward move because that's what most actors do before they land a film with Tommy Lee Jones and Susan Sarandon. So um, also, it came out after Brad's death that he actually fathered a child in 2003, a son, but their identity remains unknown for his protection. I mean, I kind of get that, but it's not like he's in danger or anything. Um, I think now he lives with his mom in Japan. In 2008, apparently Brad's parents had a relationship with their grandson, or so they told TMZ. Okay, so that was 2003. Now, in 2005 is when his life really started to fall apart. I don't want to overly highlight all the trouble he got in, but I do think it's important to show his true downward spiral. November 2005, he spent 10 days in jail after getting busted driving with a suspended license. And then in December 2005, he was arrested by LAPD officers doing an undercover drug sweep of Skid Row. So, I mean, to me, that's really embarrassing. Like, you're a Hollywood star. Why are you buying drugs on Skid Row? That's disgusting. I mean, obviously, don't buy drugs. But if you're going to buy drugs, like, buy them from like a drug dealer that comes to your house. So um, following that arrest, he was charged with attempted possession of heroin. Um, and there's this picture of him in handcuffs from that arrest. That's just really sad to look at. Um, it's from the LA Times. It was again on the front page. And if you Google his name, I think it's like on the third row, that picture. But I know he was a full-blown adult at that time, but when that came out, I just can't help but wonder, did his parents reach out to him to see if he was okay, just to tell them that, you know, they loved him and they were there for him? I just, I wonder these things and I just don't know. So he pleaded guilty and was sentenced to three years probation and a fine. So he was basically lucky. The next year, he did some jail time after driving under the influence and heroin possession. And, you know, it was the same thing over the next few years, getting in trouble, doing a low-budget film here and there, yada, yada. And then Brad was found dead January 15th in 2008 in his L.A. apartment. Something else a bit eerie was that his grandmother, Joanne, who raised him, was also found dead the very next month in her apartment of natural causes. So when both of Brad's parents showed up at his funeral, I think a lot of people in show business were just like, wait, you guys are alive? Where the hell have you been? We just all assumed you were dead. I mean, I don't know their story, but like people assumed they were dead because Brad was raised by his grandmother and these were two functioning adults. Um, so, yeah, I again, it's just really upsetting to me. I don't think Hollywood should be held responsible for not preventing his death. I agree that everything that happened in his career as a child actor wasn't right. But, you know, he should have had his parents by his side protecting him, period. And he didn't. And I also understand parents can only do so much. So many loving and caring parents lose their kids to addiction. But, you know, in this case, I just I don't think that we'll ever really know. So 
Back to James Franco quickly. He met Brad on the set of the film Deuces Wilds, and he said that he felt like Brad fell apart a little bit on that film. Like, yes, it was a low-budget film, film, but um, it was actually a great cast, and I think he had really high hopes for that movie to sort of pick his career back up. So when things were going horribly on set, Brad would just kind of get indifferent and almost nasty. So James said he was filming the movie Milk in San Francisco when he heard about Brad's death. And he was really, really shook. And he and the cast were talking about it and really sad. Um, But then a week later, when Heath Ledger died, it was considered such a tragedy. And, you know, all of a sudden, it was just so strange that people were only talking about Heath. They just sort of forgot about Brad. And then for whatever reason, they left him out of the Oscars tribute, you know, the very next month. So that was very upsetting to a lot of people. So James short, his short film, Brad Renfro Forever, is basically a gesture of remembrance from one actor to another. That's what James Franco said back in 2012. So as someone who grew up watching Brad Renfro's movies, I do remember being so upset about his death. When he died, in 2008, I was only like 22. And I just said, okay, wow, another actor addicted to drugs, you know, ends in a tragedy. And now I truly do believe that he if he had just had some parental guidance, he may have been in a better spot. And again, that's nothing against his grandmother. I'm sure she did the best she could. And clearly, it destroyed her his whole death. You know, she died the very next month. Brad had a true, true gift, and I'm so glad that he got to share it with the world for as long as he did. Addiction is serious, especially in Hollywood. Some people can be helped, and you know, some can't. So I'm going to play you guys an audio clip from the last interview that Brad did in 2007 that I found on YouTube. His comments at the end are incredibly sad and almost foreshadow things. The interview posted on YouTube is by Golden Hi, I'm Brad Renfro, and you're watching Portable Hollywood. The advice I have for people who want to get into acting, numeral uno, check your motives for wanting to get into it. It's a lot of work. Very few people are fortunate enough to not really have an appreciation for the craft and still make money. There's so much competition. It's really just about persistence. You gotta just keep at it. If I'm two inches too short, you know, the role probably goes to the other guy. So you have to really learn to be just secure with yourself and know that rejection is part of it. Um, this is gonna sound silly, man, but you know, or actually it's not, I would tell him, you know, to stay the hell away from like uh, the party scene. Anything you put in front of your goal, and especially something like that, whether it's too much gambling, too much food, you know, too many, too many, too much cold beers on the weekend, anything you put in front of the prize, so to speak, is gonna, it's gonna end up getting in the way and hurting you in the end. Unfortunately, not many people are lucky enough to traverse through things like that and, and come out on the other side, you know. And a, a lot of people uh, don't make it. They don't live through it. But anyway, guys, I hope you like this special episode of Red Carpet Rendezvous. Um, if you didn't like it, feel free to shoot me an email, lauren at magicshack.com. Or even if you did like it, shoot me an email. Or you can send me a DM on Instagram, Red Carpet Rendezvous Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe and download on Apple or whatever podcast outlet you listen with. So thanks for listening. Until next week.
Thanks for listening to Red Carpet Rendezvous. Until next time. We made USAA insurance to help you save. Take advantage of discounts when you cover your home and your ride. Discover how we're helping members save at USAA.com slash bundle. Restrictions apply.